Personally, ideologically, we need to have a knowledge battle. And then in regards to Islam, we have to have a knowledge and information battle. gentlemen welcome to the salty pastor podcast a podcast that focuses on coaching you in the growth of your faith our world is struggling to find peace in the midst of all this chaos direction in the midst of all this aimlessness and purpose in the midst of no meaning we're challenging everyone to take time to think about the point and purpose of your life and then you will know what you believe and why you believe it Mm -hmm. this leads to a stronger faith and that's how you find peace hope and love in this world my name is Jess Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, the salty pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Hey, everyone. It's so good to be with you today. And I've been really, you know, challenged in this study about Kingdom Come because I've been trying to reconcile the individual who becomes a part of the Kingdom of God and the spiritual battle that kind of occurs within you, but also the notion of the kingdom come in a general sense, in a large sense, Mm. and how, I mean, so what is our responsibility when you have something in the kingdom of this world rise up and do something evil? Uh, What is our stance and how do you approach it? And so I'm trying to figure out how to weld those two together. And so it's been really challenging. And so... I think the personal spiritual growth is easy to address, but how that influences, you know, big things, big nations, uh, takes a little bit more work. Absolutely. On Tuesday, we studied the armor of God in Ephesians 6, 13 through 18. And the biblical principle here is that all followers of Jesus are in a spiritual war and we have, we have to be protected in this battle. One phrase in the passage that stands out, Uh, to this point is so that you will be able to resist on the evil day, having done everything to Mm. stand firm. Yes. We are told to do everything we can in order to stand firm. And on Tuesday, you spoke a little bit about complacency and how human beings Mm -hmm. easily fall into complacency, um, partly due to a human nature, partly due to being manipulated by the world. Let's talk real world scenarios where Christian movements in America have suffered (laughs) from complacency. Well, first, you know, let's remember we are in a spiritual battle and our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the rulers, principalities and spiritual forces of this dark world. And I like how you pointed out in the next verse where he says, you know, once you have done everything. Mm. So the reason we must be aware of the spiritual war that is happening is because it spills over into this world that creates darkness and we need to do everything we can. We need to do everything we can as individuals to stand firm and resist this evil, right? Do you remember the old uh, cliche? I can't remember who said it. It's not a cliche. It's a, just a, a, a kind of a proverb is all it takes for evil to advance is for good men to do nothing. Yes. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. That, that sense that we just can't sit by and do nothing and let evil advance, right? Right. That doesn't appeal to the the sheepdog mentality or vibe of the masculine image of God that we are called to protect. There's real evil out there and real men step up and stop it. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's that, but also how does it spill over in a general sense and, and how do you fight it generally? So I think that, uh, since our battle is not being fought against flesh and blood, where is it being fought? And I think there's two primary fronts 
that it's being waged on today in America in an individual sense and in a general sense. You can kind of see these waves coming across America. And that is, the first one is ideological. And I think that there is an ideological battle out there that needs to be waged. And anybody who's listened to the Salty Pass for any point of time knows that to be true. And that's what we talk about most of the time. I, I also, though, do believe that there is, across the globe and in America today, the influence of Islam. This is a front. And, you know, it, uh, where this battle needs to be waged. And so we need to endeavor to uh, stand against what this expressed mission and intent of Islam is. And the problem is, is that most people in America and Western so, uh, civilizations have no idea what it is. Right. They just don't know. And so they think it's like, well, it's similar to another Protestant denomination. You know, who cares if you want to be a Mormon or a Christian or if you want to be a Catholic or whatever? You know, all religions are the same and you they say the same things. And and so let's be diverse. Right. They have no idea that Islam does not in any way, shape or form reflect any of these other subsets or denominations of Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy or you know, Roman Catholicism or Protestantism, none of that stuff. Right. It, it is a belief system that wipes out any and all other belief systems. And so you have to be aware of it and you have to understand that. So in these battles, uh, Paul says in Second Corinthians 10 that we uh, are to, our weapons of warfare are divinely inspired for the destruction of fortress. We are, uh, we are fighting against Everything raised up against the knowledge of God, right? So this is a knowledge battle that I think we need to fight, right? It, it, personally, ideologically, we need to have a knowledge battle. And then it w in regards to Islam, we have to have a knowledge and information battle, okay? So I think what's happening is you are seeing these two things come together into a, a really odd culmination. Um what you're seeing is the ideological battle is uh, cultural Marxism. It's this critical theory. It's progressivism. It's driven by secular humanism, scientific materialism, atheism, all of these types of things. It's a worldview that has a really interesting bent, and I always kind of sum it all up into postmodernism, cultural Marxism, right? Mm. And you see that a lot on our university campuses, okay? And so... We've talked a lot about this over time. Well, now you have Islam. And Islam seems to be the exact opposite of this progressive ideology, correct? However, what we're seeing is these two things coming together in a dramatic way. Every single one of the pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas demonstrations that have been happening on college campuses have violated the student honor code of every campus on which they've had them. Okay, so when you go to university, you are also bound by the laws of the United States of America in that particular jurisdiction that you're in. So if you're in a university and it's in a town, whatever the city laws are, you're. So, but you are also subject to what is known as the student honor code or the student code or the, the university rules, right? Right. And if you don't follow those, you sh you're disciplined and expelled. Okay. Well, every one of these protests violate the student honor code and the rules of the university, right? And one of the student not is that we will not advocate violence on anybody, right? Mm. 
And yet that's exactly what they're doing. And they're not only advocating violence, they're pursuing violence. And you see in various cases, these student protests are going after other Jewish students. There were Jewish students that are having to hide out in buildings to avoid being attacked. So they're violating these honor codes. They have advocated violence against Jewish people. They yell the motto, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which is a call to ethnic cleansing in the region of all Jews. Therefore, what you should see happening is severe disciplinary action taking place on this, right? You should see these people being kicked out of, stu- out of these universities. But there's been zero, none. Why is that? Because this first ideological progressive ideology has adopted the notion that Islam is an oppressed minority here in America when it's really not. And what I find so fascinating is the crimes against Jews and Jewish synagogues and vandalism have risen over 400% in the last six weeks. There's been no violence. There's been no anything against Muslims in America, actually quite the opposite. And yet the White House every day talks about they, they formed a new task force to fight Islamophobia. It's like, okay, why don't you have a task force to protect Jewish people? Right. You know, it's just, it's absolutely, and the reason why they're doing it is because it's driven by this ideology. As a matter of fact, university presidents have not taken a stand against this behavior uh, in, in any strong sense. Their response has been so poor that in some situations, like Harvard and Penn State, have lost a combined $700 million in contributions. The, the reason this is happening is because of progressive ideology, this cultural Marxism, has been ensconced in the university so long, and now Islam is taking advantage of it. And Islam is coming in and using that. It's been invited in. But the ideology of this progressive uh, value set is incapable of stopping what Islam ultimately will do to it. And you're really seeing this happen in in, uh, England and in France right now. And there's some really big problems over there. Our press never reports on them, but they're in serious trouble of how to how to do it. Because now their Muslim enclaves have become so big, they're over 22% of the whole population. And so this is a problem, and they don't know how to, how to do it. But back here in America, I want to bring the conversation back to this, and that is, you know, the conclusion is very important to understand, and that is the center of everything that is being raised against the knowledge of God right now, the center of everything that is inviting Islam to come in and pursue its own goals against Christianity and against democracy and against any other faith is ensconced in the universities. It's our universities that are doing it, and that is a problem. I mean, over the last few years, this has been a recurring theme in what you've brought out um, in issues of the modern time, right? And yes. most of the most egregious things happening in the world seem to have some origin back to a ideology that has been perpetuated at the university level, right? Mm-hmm. Why, mm-hmm. Do you th- why do you think this is? Has it always been this way? Well, that is so interesting to me. It's so interesting to me, and it goes back to our original point about complacency. You know, what happens when people get complacent? And that is, I don't know if you know this, but Yale 
was started in 1701. So when did we sign the Declaration of Independence? Uh, 18... Nope. Nope. I don't know. I'm, 1776. I'm That's what it is. 1776. July 4th, 1776. Still right? Okay, so uh, approximately 75 years before that, Yale was founded. And do you know what Yale was found, founded for? For one purpose and one purpose only. Training ministers to preach the gospel of Christ. That's why it was formed. And it did that for over 150 years. It wasn't until after the Civil War in 1865, uh, that's when the Civil War ended, that they started to consider maybe we should offer courses to help people, right, because the country was devastated, but educate people in how to do other things to rebuild the country. So in 1868, they started to expand the curriculum. And it was during this time where the first progressive ideology emerged at the universities, and it had come over very quickly from Europe through uh, Darwinian origin of the species and all that kind of stuff happened at that time. And then you also had... Marx and his ideology at that time being written all in the around 1850 to 1880. And then you had Nietzsche and his philosophies that were becoming very popular. And so what happened is, is uh, because of this naturalist movement in Western civilization, they saw faith as irrational. So over the next 70 to 80 years, the progressive leftists, non-Christians came in and colonized the university. They completely took it over. And today, if you are to go to Yale and you're a Christian, they won't let you in. They don't want you. And Yale Divinity School was considered such an elite divinity school for centuries, but it has gone off the cliff. Uh, even in the Divinity College at Yale, the supposed bastion of, of the university's trained ministers, there's a professor by the name of William James Jennings who speaks regularly on why white people can't be saved and why whiteness is to be fought at all cost. And this was the university that for 150 years trained ministers to go mm -hmm. preach the gospel of Christ. And today, it is sitting on a $40 billion endowment. $40 billion endowment, right? And what does it fund? Progressive leftist ideology. And, you know, it, the, the list goes on. Look at Harvard. Harvard is the same thing. It's 400 years old. Harvard is. And the first 200 years of its existence... All it did was train ministers to preach the gospel. Where all of these, we've talked about this in the past. Remember, we talked about the Great Awakenings, mm -hmm. where people would go and preach, and then tens and hundreds of thousands of Americans came to Christ, and that created all of these massive social movements. Like, for instance, the first Great Awakening happened between 1700 and 1776. And so that's where the, the fire of liberty came from. It was birthed out of the soil of, uh, of a spiritual awakening where people turn to Christ in the Protestant movements, right? Mm -hmm. Then what you do is after that, you see another massive 
great awakening. They call it the second great awakening. Some say there's a second and a third right in there. But all that happened before the Civil War. Then there was another great awakening. Another spiritual wind flew through America. And then right after that in the 1900s is when we had women's suffrage and we had all this stuff. So whenever there was a great awakening, you know what happened? Is that tens of thousands of churches were planted. Right? Churches just sprouted up and so they were all growing. And what has happened is now all of these universities that, that they were training the ministers that were preaching and starting the churches that built America, you know. But today it is now the bastion. It is a new religion, right? And it's not the Church of Jesus Christ anymore. It's a church of progressive leftist ideology. Uh, Columbia University was established in Manhattan in 1754. And you know where they held classes the first year? Where? In the church <laughs> in which it was founded. And it was started and funded by the, the Missionary Society of the Church of England. Princeton, 1747, was started by the Presbyterian Church because some of the synods were opposed to what? The Great Awakening. There were Presbyterian churches, and they were opposed to all of these people coming to Christ, right? And so they go, wait a second, we need to get on board with this. So the Presbyterian church started Princeton in order to help them, what, train ministers who would go out and preach and form these churches in the Great Awakening, mm. you know? And then now you go back to towns and cities, you go back east, and you see these old Presbyterian churches, and when were they built, right? They were built in the late 1800s all the way up to 1920. You know, these beautiful, wonderful architectural masterpieces. And so it's important to understand that how did this happen? Complacency, right? It happened over complacency. What no one wants to admit is that, especially beginning in 1960, during the sexual revolution, this university, not just these Ivy Leagues, but all universities, public and private across the nation, became the church of a new religion, and that religion is progressivism, okay? It is a form of secular humanism, scientific materialism, atheism, riding on the wave of critical social theory that came out of the Frankfurt School. And I believe that this new religion that has taken over America is what's destroying it. Yeah, I mean, what's talk to me a little bit about what you see as far as the connection between Islam and these tenets of progressivism. They seem to be, they seem like they shouldn't fit together, but you're, you're drawing a line between them <laughs> that I'm, I'm a little confused by because it seems like they shouldn't fit together and that they're contradictory to each other almost, but they seem to be working together or helping each other in some ways. Yeah, that and that's that is the challenge, but that's exactly what's happening, right? And that is is this is that progressive ideology, leftist ideology is different than liberal ideology, right? A lot of these universities were liberal arts. And the whole point of liberal arts is that we're not going to take a dogmatic, one-sided approach to something. We're going to listen to all the ideas, let the best idea bubble to the top, and then when it's proven to be the most effective, right, we're going to adopt it. Right. And so that's what they did. And this is why Harvard and Princeton and Yale, they were training ministers, and they realized that theologically we have this, this revelation called the Bible now, doctrinally, we know what our doctrine is, but now what we're going to do is we're going to help train doctors, right? Right. 
And so what we're going to do is we're just going to use whatever's the best medical technique. We're going to research it and say, okay, do that. So they became research institutions. Right. And so, but what happened is, particularly starting in the 60s, is they shifted now to a progressive ideology where you see the result of this now that we're the best ideas we're supposed to win. Now math is racist and science and medicine is racist. Okay, how did you go from there to there? The best idea is going to win, but we're going to censor all ideas that we disagree with. Right. You see what I'm saying is like, wait a second. I thought these, this ideology was built on what's the best, right? And let's argue for the best to now. And that's what's so interesting about it, you see, is that's what the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory, that's what Marxism, the ideology of Marxism has done, is it, it, it reminds me of what Paul says. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Well, I mean, we even see that in our political system now. It's not, a, it's not about the best idea. It's just about the idea that I want. Right. On both sides, right? Like, yeah. that's the thing. It's like, it's not even a let's find a way to find the best idea. It's my idea is the best, and I don't want to hear any other idea, and yeah. I will scream at you and do whatever I need to to make sure that your idea doesn't win because my idea is the best. Yeah. There's no anticipation of, well, maybe there is a better way. Correct. And those ideas are driven by ideology. So the, once you have that ensconced, now what happens is Islam comes in, right? And so what does Islam do? You know, I Islam is basically that comes in and it Islam by its very nature. Okay. Does not assimilate. And Islam is not about democracy. It's not about a republic. It's not about human rights. It's about the, the Islam means to submit. It's, it, and it is a social, political, economic system. It's all laid out in the Hadith. And the goal is to get everybody to submit to that. And that's how these two, that's why these two have now wedded is because Islam sees that ideology is an open door to come in and then once it gains the power it needs through that open door the first people they're going to eliminate is them right um during the period between 1300 and 1700 that's a 400 year period in western europe christianity was the only thing that actually stopped the spread of islam okay the ottoman empire pushed you know, it had a dream to conquer all of Europe, okay? It wanted, the primary thing that what the Ottoman Empire wanted was the Vatican. Because in Islam, particularly the Ottoman Empire, it is a spiritual war. And they want to win. And what have we been talking about? Is that all of this flows out of what? A spiritual war. Right. And what's so interesting is Islam sees this as a spiritual war. And so what they did, uh, in particular, the siege of uh, Vienna in the 17th century, 1600s, uh, is historically one of the most significant battles between Western civilization and Islam. Because Islam was pushing over. They want to take Vienna. Okay. And once they got Vienna, then they could come around and march down the Italian peninsula and take Rome. That was their goal. But they were stopped at Vienna. And I won't go into that. We've actually talked about this on an episode, you know, probably 200 episodes ago. I, I talked about this. But, but what happened is Islam lost that battle. Okay, the battle started on what date do you think it started on? And if you remember, it started on September 11th. Mm. 
and they lost on September 12th, 1683. And this is why al-Qaeda terrorists from Saudi Arabia attacked America on 9-11. See, they picked that date for that to reflect this battle, to show we're, bring, we're on 11th, we're starting the battle again, September 11th, but this time we're not going to lose. Right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. But most Americans are not even aware of this. When Christianity was a primary influence in Western civilization, it had the backbone to stop the advancement of Islam. Progressivism embraces Islam, but it does not have the power or the backbone to stand against it uh, when it starts to reveal its true identity. And it, it, it will be consumed by it. And this is a perfect example, is that on Harvard University, you had these people that were protesting, students at Harvard, calling for the genocide of Jewish people, the murder of genocide of Jewish people, and this rampant anti-Semitism, which is illegal if you're a student at Harvard, and what does the Harvard president do? Does the Harvard president, does she condemn it? No. Does she say stop it? No. Do they send any type of security to put a stop to it when they're chasing Jewish students and harassing them? No. It was such a feckless, weak response. How can you have a backbone to stop the advancement of this type of evil ideology when you can't even say when they are violating your own rules that they're violating your own rules? Mm. That is such weakness, and that's what progressivism is. And it is the door through which Islam is trying to march into America. If you go over to Western Europe, they talk about this openly. The, the, the mullahs and the Islamic leaders in England, in France, and in Germany, they talk about this openly. There's articles and research on this. They talk about how we have come here, we're immigrating our people here because we are taking over, and when we get big enough, we're going to overthrow the government. And it's shocking to me because in these Western democracies, they think, well, most Muslims don't believe that. Most Muslims don't want that because they're secular progressives. And there is, is their underlying belief is that faith isn't real and nobody actually believes that. So once they get over here and they drink our wine and eat our food and find all the freedom that they could do and sexual freedom like that, all of those second and third generation Muslims aren't going to be Muslims anymore. And guess what's happened? The exact opposite. The most radical Muslims in Germany, in France, in England right now are second and third generation immigrants. Because where are they being trained? They're not being trained in the public school system. They're being trained in the mosques that have been set up, some in England, in old churches, right, of the Church of England. And that's where they're spreading their ideology. And so, this will be, in the end, I know I'm sounding a little dramatic and a little salty, but it, if, if we don't, aren't aware of this, it will be the downfall of Western civilization. So talk to me a little bit about, let's tie this back to Kingdom Come is about our spiritual warfare. Tie this back to how this is happening within the spiritual warfare. Well, I think, you know, on is that it begins with me as an individual, and that is I have to win the spiritual battle so that I live more fully in the kingdom of God, right? And the nature of a spiritual war is that it spills over into your everyday life on a personal level, and what's happening is it's spilling over into the personal lives of all these people around you. 
And one of the biggest things is, is that Christians in America have become complacent. And one thing you have to realize, every Christian out there in America or any person who claims to be a Christian is to realize is that progressivism, this, this social theory on university campuses is the new religion. And they are 100% invested in it. Okay, all their tithes and all of their money goes to that. You know, George Soros became a billionaire by manipulating the currencies of nations. You know, he bankrupted nations, but he became, I mean, he just doesn't have a billion dollars. He has tens of billions of dollars. I mean, he has massive amounts of money. And he is of this ideology, and he has turned around, and then he has invested all of his money billions and billions of dollars in it in communist uh, socialist organizations and everybody uh, not maybe not everybody's aware but the rising crime rate in many of our cities is due to the fact that he funded the elections of many radical D- D- DAs and these DAs are not enforcing the law and so they're letting criminals out on the street and so what happens to the crime rate when you let the criminals out of the jails it goes way up and then other crimes are not even being prosecuted anymore. Um, on Tuesday, November 7th, uh, what happened is Ohio approved a change to their state constitution. And the change that they approved was it made abortion on demand up until the moment of, de- of birth is a right in the state of Idaho, uh, Ohio. Okay? Now, it wasn't... Maybe we should have abortion rights up to, like, the first trimester or any of that. It's, so they're going to practice partial birth abortion, which is infanticide, right? They're going to take babies that can live outside the womb, and they, ha- they can legally kill them because it's a part of their state constitution in Ohio now. How in the world did that happen? Well, the pro-abortion uh, lobby there spent three times as much money on this than the pro-life groups did. Why did they spend so much more money? Because their side funds it. That's their religion. Now, I'm not here to complain. I'm just pointing out the facts, is that the Christian billionaires that are out there in America today are not giving money to churches. They're not doing it. As a matter of fact, I've, I've, I've talked to some people that were, you know, in the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. They all, they, they've been told that, well, I don't want to give it to a church because a windfall like that would kill them, you know. Okay, well, maybe there's some wisdom in that, but what they're doing instead is they're giving it to universities. So they're giving it to the church of what? Of progressivism that is destroying the country in which they live. I'm not, I'm not here to complain. I'm just saying this is the trends. These universities that they're giving money to may have been started by Christians, and they have Christian mottos on them. When you go to Harvard today, when I visited Harvard, I'm taking pictures of all these buildings because I love the architecture, and I just love the campus. And on the buildings are all of these verses from the Bible. And yet Harvard is one of the most hostile environments today to not only Jewish kids, but to Christian kids, right? And I've said this before, is that their, their chaplain that they appoint, you know, the, the campus has a chaplain. And guess what? The chaplain is an avowed atheist. Mm. 
So if that is not messed up, I don't know what is. But people are giving their money there, and they are supporting the church of progressivism that is. And so, you know, uh, people are flocking, I think, to listening to the salty pastor. And if you want to hear political commentary about things that are going on, there are guys that are that do that, that do a better job than I do. I mean, they're all politics all the time. I'm here to talk about the biblical things and then how it flows out into culture. So I'm connecting dots that you know, you aren't going to want to get or get on a political commentary show. And it helps you grow your faith because everything we do starts with the Bible First, but there are very few pastors trained and focused on how the propositional truths in the scriptures should be driving our culture and society. Uh, other than like one or two real strong supporters of of the salty pastors, uh, even though we've asked in the past, it's interesting to me is that is that uh, we operate kind of on a uh, shoestring. I mean, we are fighting this fight on a shoestring, and. We're fighting an enemy that is like Goliath. I mean, it is massive. It is well-funded. It has hundreds of billions of dollars behind it. And uh, unless Christians stop living in complacency and start saying, man, I, I want my money and I want my energy and my effort to go in things that build my nation and provide a place for my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren to experience the wonder and beauty beauty of worshiping the Lord at my uh, place of choice on a Sunday morning or educating my kids in the truths of the gospel, that's all going to be gone if we don't, as Christian nation here in America, get serious about funding those things and then fighting the spiritual battle first. Not a physical battle or a political battle, but a spiritual battle first. And that's how we win it. That's why every contribution to the Salty Pastor really makes a difference because we are uh, doing this on for almost nothing. So um, if you are f- wanting to help support the Salty Pastor, you can do that. You just go to foothills.org slash give and you're able to um, select the Salty Pastor as the recipient of that. Um, when the new website drops, that'll uh, you'll be able to do that through that as well. So um, thank you so much, Pastor, for joining us and uh enlightening us on all of the things going on. I think there's a lot to process here, a lot to do some research on, and a lot to figure out um, how this is impacting us in our everyday life. We thank you guys so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings. 